Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we have a really interesting story that we're going to hear from Duncan Davidson because he's joining us all the way from Berlin, Germany, and he has a nice background that he's going to share with us and some what he calls the empathy wobble. That's a little preview here of our show. So let me just tell you a little bit about Duncan. He is the CTO in residence at Microsoft over in Berlin, and he's been in the computer industry for 40 years now. And he's worked for Sun Microsystems, uh, done startup work, and he's also veered off for a little while and done some photography for TED Talks that you may have seen some of his photography and you didn't even know it. So look for his name uh, when you see those uh, credits going by on those TED Talks you're watching. Let's get started. Duncan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm so glad to have you, and this has just been really exciting to have my first international guest. So you're special in a number of ways here. Um, but I'd first like to ask you to just tell our listeners, what does it mean to be a CTO in residence at Microsoft? What do you do? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting title. I mean, when I first got it, I was like, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. And isn't there usually only you know CTO at the very top of the company? And here I am having that in my title, and I actually report to other people. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a couple of things. We have a program at Microsoft called Microsoft for Startups. And, uh, and part of our mission is to help startups um, grow and be better and do all the things that they want to do. Um, and as part of that program, we have this thing called Scale Up, which um, is a program that takes business to business uh, companies and helps connect ones that have a product market fit directly to um, our sales organization. Uh, Microsoft has a huge sales organization. They have channels into all sorts of companies. And this is one of the places where, uh, out of all the ways we could help startups, we figured out this is a, this is a pretty powerful one. And so for the companies that come into the product, uh, into the uh, scale-up program, uh, we, we do a lot of work with them. And I serve as kind of a CTO as a service uh, for those startups. Um, and I also liaise with directly with the CTOs of those startups and help them uh, connect to other parts of Microsoft as they progress through their journey. And along the way, typically, uh, we get into some of the non-technical parts of being a CTO, which is um, which is dealing with people things or giving mm -hmm. advice or talking about how to grow teams. A lot of the startups that we work with, you know, they're on that verge of going from 20 people to 100. And so they're going to go through those big growth changes that really, that really are tough to go through. And, um, or sometimes we run into startups that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing things internally that make sense, but they, they, they don't really work so well, um, outside. So one of the cases that we've, we've, uh, worked with is a company that had basically two people that was in a CTO role mm -hmm. and they're both equally, um, they're both equally capable. They're both equally great people. Uh, but we worked with them for quite a while to, 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 to get them to the point where they could have one of them be the CTO and one of them not be the CTO, just so that 
from an external interface perspective, it made sense. But that, of course, took a lot of work to make sure the company could do that, that the people involved could do that, that um, you could get through this without bruising a lot of egos, yes. um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fascinating job description to, to, to be in this role. Um, it also links into this idea that um, there's, a, there's a wider concept that we don't really have a good term for in the industry. Um, you know, a CTO is typically somebody who is a senior technical leader in an organization, but they're not necessarily the, the, con- the, the point in the organization where a lot of people report directly into. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But there's right. often you'll have a CTO and a vice president of engineering. And the CTO's job is to be one thing. The VP of engineers, engineering is another thing. And, um, and it's kind of the end point for a group of people that you might call lead developers or something like that. Some, some concept of that sort that we don't have a good name for in the industry. Um, but the idea is that there are um, technical leaders who are leading through uh, primarily influence, and they they have to grow um, up in a certain direction, and that direction has an endpoint in the CTO role. So, one of the things we're doing in, in, in my organization is figuring out how to reach out to this group of people, and uh, really identify and connect and provide uh, tools for them to help them with their journey. Okay. So tools could be, you know, simple things like software, but it also could be how to deal with some of the people stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. It's, it's, it's everything from, okay, what are three reasonable um, architectures for running on cloud computing? You know, mm-hmm. the basic three-tier model or Kubernetes or serverless or you know, whatever that is. Um, to how do you scale from two people to 20 to 200? Um, and and back and how do you how do you act as a as a technical leader in, in these in these situations okay so that part of the job is a lot fuzzier than the other one the, you know the side of the job that the cto is a service for scale-ups that's that's pretty easy to define this other side mm-hmm. we're still working on it so that's why it's mm-hmm. a little a little fuzzy sounding but well you know i think that we'll get into some of the people challenges that come up as you move up into a role like that. Uh, But one way of doing it is getting at your story and how you moved into that role. And I think that you just have such great examples for people who uh, they will resonate with others, you know, who are dealing with these kind of challenges. So I'd like to see if you're willing to talk through, you know, about how you got into the CTO and residence uh, at Microsoft. You started out at a smaller company that was acquired. So right. where were you? What were you doing? So I, uh, I came to Microsoft via Wonderlist. Um, mm-hmm. Wonderlist is a small company that uh, is based here in Berlin. In fact, I moved here to Berlin to join that company. Um, and um, and we were a company of about 60, 70 people. And uh, in 95, or sorry, not 95, wow, that was a total brain <laughs> misfire there. Uh, 2015, Okay. 20 years difference there, man. Um, yeah, so 2015, we were acquired by Microsoft. And that was a um, pretty big deal because we went from being a startup that was a very consumer-based startup, um, a very, um, design-led startup to being part of a company in an organization that is vastly bigger. Um, 
you know, Microsoft's got 120,000 or something like that employees, um, lots of divisions. They really cater towards the enterprise software market. Um, and, uh, and in some ways it was, it was the um, acquisition that we never expected. It made a lot of sense in some degree, in some ways, because we were about personal productivity and, uh, Microsoft's new motto or new tagline is, you know, empower every individual on the planet to do more. Um, and so there's, there's a synergy there. And there was a synergy in the sense of what we wanted to do with Wonderlist was connected with um, all the various places where uh, tasks could come from. Um, but on the other hand, we were really consumer focused and uh, really individual focused. And we were uh, going into a place where you know, the first order of business was to basically become uh, a part of office in, in some sense, in some manner. And that was something we had to define what, how we were going to do, to do that. But that was, that was the, the job given to us. Okay, so what was um, your role there at Wonderlist when you had so, the position? So my role, um, Wonderlist was, you know, we were, we were going on the newfangled um, uh, management uh, zero hierarchy kind of uh, okay. management structure. So mm -hmm. it's a really tough to define what my role was exactly. But um, but uh, I was hired in um, as uh, basically a, a, the senior developer on staff uh, underneath uh, Chad Fowler, who was um, who was combination CTO, VP engineering kind of uh, a role. Mm -hmm. And um, and so uh, I was I was there to really help. Um, influence where we were going really helped serve in an architecture capacity. Really help develop uh, what was uh, what was happening within the organization uh, from a technical standpoint. And uh, when I first came in, we were on the verge of shipping Wonderlist three, which was a huge um, which is a huge upgrade for us. Uh, it was a huge systems change on the back end. Took lots of work, and so my job was to basically do whatever it took to get that shipped. So part of that was working on the Android client at times or uh, working on the backend system at times uh, or even sorting out what we needed to do to get it shipped ready. So probably the best contribution I made to that particular release was um, building a system that was, uh, it was basically a chaos monkey kind of uh, system. We <laughs> called it Bozegurken, which is German for evil cucumbers. And I cannot tell you why we chose uh, this other than um, Chad and I found a sticker somewhere that said, you know, uh, pickles are uh, cucumbers that are swimming in evil. And so oh. something about evil and cucumbers went together and we, we ran with it. Um, you know, geeks, too much coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But, um, but it was essentially a system where we could load test um, our new backend services and we could simulate any number of users and, and any number of users doing crazy things like, mm -hmm. um, like creating a zillion tasks and sharing those tasks with each other. And as we ran the system in our run up to launch, you know, we broke our servers many, many times using this. But the end result was that when we launched, we were able to launch without a hiccup. It was the most boring product launch I've ever been part of because we turned the servers on, we scaled up, and nothing happened, which was both satisfying and vaguely disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you're you know when you're braced for impact as a as a as a backend engineer. And so um, 
and so I did that. And then, um, and then Chad briefed me on a little development that was happening. Uh, it looked like we were going to be in talks with a major corporation to get acquired. And that mm-hmm. corporation I found out later was Microsoft. Um, and so as part of that, we had to do this huge due diligence process, which was uh, basically submit all of our code to code scans and take care of all the potential um, uh, issues in, in the code, copyright issues or license issues or even security issues, all sorts of stuff. And it's one of these processes where um, when you are uh, when you have a due diligence from an investment standpoint, there's a certain amount of uh, care that's taken to make sure that the investor is is going to get at least a fair chance of getting a return. Mm-hmm. Um, but when a huge corporation buys a smaller corporation, uh, the risks involved are different because um, in our case, our purchase price was somewhere between reportedly 100 and $200 million, um, which not a bad sum of money, right? But Microsoft's risks was was actually much larger than that. Because if we had brought in uh, uh, an IP bug or if we brought in a security bug, we could have potentially cost Microsoft billions. Um, And so in that respect, um, I compare doing the acquisition process for uh, a company buying another company, especially when the sizes are different. Um, If investing is like simple stock investments um, with degrees of risk, um, these kind of deals are more like, you know, options or subprime mortgages or, you know, Mm -hmm. they package up a lot more risk inside of them. And so we went through this process of about um, six or seven months of working through what it took to be acquired by Microsoft, um, Mm -hmm. which was a huge undertaking. And, uh, you know, we got to the end of it and we were pretty happy about it. Um, You know, we went from having you know thousands of issues that we had to deal with to hundreds to tens. And then finally, none and um mm-hmm. you know deal closed everybody was happy we announced it out to the rest of our employees and um you know we thought the hard part was done at that point so okay so um so that was my role at wonderlist and then uh as we came into uh, microsoft um that role shifted a bit um we went from being a uh, amorphous uh, organization that really didn't have structure to one that had structure. You know, my, we come into a company like Microsoft and all of a sudden everybody gets titles and those titles are in a hierarchy and the, the hierarchy means something. People are called principal engineer or senior or, you know, all, all the things right. that they come in level numbers, 59 or 62 or 67. And, um, and of course, the first challenge we had to deal with was everybody saying, well, why is somebody ranked at that level and not at another level? Right. Um, and we had this up and down throughout the organization. Um, a really good example is one of the founders. Um, Six, uh, Wonderlist was a company called Six Wonderkinder. So the actual company name in Germany was called Six Wonderkinder, which means Six Wonder Kids. Right. right? There were six founders. And uh, they were all young, but one was really young. And, you know, he had basically joined kind of out of college or in college, I think, still. And so he was still rather a junior guy, but he was a founder. And so, you know, he comes into the company and, of course, he got the benefit of being a founder. He got the payout from being a founder. Right. Um, but all of a sudden he's uh, he's a junior engineer and he's like, hey, but, 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 
And, right. you know, that's not a, that's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a very awkward position for that particular person to be in, to have had that success. And yet they're ranked at something else within the new company. Right. Um, so these kind of changes happened all throughout the workforce. Um, and then, this, then the second thing that happened is we kind of, well, we had a, a several leadership changes that happened in rather quick succession. Um, our CEO uh, decoupled uh, from our day-to-day operations. Um, another executive um, had to move to the States because he was married to an American and they had a family and his wife really wanted to be close to her, fam- uh, her family. And so, you know, to help keep the marriage together, right. Right, I don't know if it was that life serious. Choices. You know, yeah. there, there's a life choice there that they needed to move to the States. And so they did. And uh, another colleague, had some family issues come up and they had to move back to the States. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another of the senior uh, execs um, had a kid and then she had another kid, right? Mm-hmm. And in Germany, we have really great paternity and maternity leave uh, policies, which meant that that person was then not with us for uh, an extended amount of time. You know, we had all these things that none of them were really bad, right? None of them were a case where you know, somebody was being a bad actor or really a horrible person or anything. In fact, right. all these things were totally understandable, totally mm-hmm. rational, the kind of things that you want to support. But it meant that the people who had guided that leadership um, vision of the company through, as just Jason, and into the, into, yeah. the, into the acquisition were no longer playing as strong a role or even a role in the, in the, in the integration process. Right. And so that fell to, um, the next level of us who were in the organization. Um, and I was, uh, the senior engineer and we had another person who was, um, from the PM side and, um, and, uh, there's a couple other people that were involved in this. And we, we basically had to put together, um, a new leadership organization within the organization as it was going through this, very tumultuous time, which, you know, looking back on it and, and talking about it, you know, already sounds like a pretty, a pretty hairy experience. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a, there are a lot of different factors here that were contributing to what ended up happening as a result. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, at the time you're just doing what you need to do, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and at the time, you know, every step of the way, we were making decisions that made sense in the context of what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my bottom line, um, my bottom line goal, my objective throughout the acquisition and the integration uh, period was to have a successful integration, i.e. one where our team was seen as successfully contributing to a new company. So then we could, um, so then we could really, in a sense, um, buy our way, to relevance within the company and not necessarily by our, our way in terms of, you know, putting money down and, and purchasing that or trying to buy it on the black market of, right. of respect, <laughs> but more in the sense of um, if we could guide the group through a, a, a the transition like that, mm-hmm. um, then we could write the rest of our story within Microsoft. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's a pretty straightforward kind of goal, or at least I thought it was. We all thought it was on the leadership team. So how did it go? What happened? 
So, um, well, along the way, uh, what made total sense to do to us and maybe to, um, from a logical perspective, mm-hmm. um, it didn't resonate, it didn't capture, it didn't really uh, capture the imagination or it wasn't something that a large number of people that were on our staff wanted to do. Um, so, you know, our, 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 our team, uh, we used uh, a lot of Linux in our backend infrastructure systems and we used microservices and we had all sorts of um, develop, different development languages. Um, so we had people that were basically open source Linux geeks running closure microservices, um, you know, in, in, in the system and they were badasses at that. And part of what we needed to do in order to integrate within the bigger Microsoft organization was start integrating with systems that were not Linux, were not Clojure or Scala or any of the other kind of cool hip languages that we were used to using. Um, But instead were these big enterprise things that that had been around for 20 years. Um, And, you know, things like Exchange and, you know, Active Directory and, you know, things that were just very almost anathema to a lot of the people on our team. Right. Um, and, you know, this is, this is a matter where, you know, neither of those is actually better than the other. They're just different from each other. Mm-hmm. But it was a sudden point at which we, we, we found ourselves in a position where we didn't have the alignment that you want to have in an organization. So in a well-functioning organization, um, you know, the saying is alignment beats consensus. You know, if everybody's motivations are, are, are lined up in the same direction, the rest is almost easy. Whereas if everybody's alignments aren't the same, then you have to have a lots of agreement processes and the agreement processes don't necessarily stick. Um, and so uh, what wasn't so obvious to us is as a startup, our product was, um, was a, a to-do list manager, right? It was not that complicated of a product, but it was a to-do list manager. Right. And um, that was what we were building. And as part of the integration, we wanted to, or we needed to integrate that within Microsoft's bigger systems, which meant our technology choices um, were changing. But as a startup, the people who are working on the technology, you know, the guys working, the the ladies and gentlemen working on the services, um, they weren't actually there to write a to-do list application. They actually didn't care so much Okay. You know, what it was that their that their that their skills were being used on, they were there because we gave them an opportunity to do uh, Linux and and right. uh, uh, Enclosure or Scala or Haskell or any of these other um, tools that that were available. We gave them the ability to do this, and they were there for that primarily. Um, and so, as our product needs changed, it kind of left yes. behind, or it. The, the product need got out of alignment with where the engineering team was, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so suddenly we had a bunch of people who were like, okay, so what am I working on here? And that was, we had other difficulties, of course, but, you know, that was kind yeah. of one of the key, key defining uh, difficulties that we, we ran mm-hmm. into. And as we went through this, um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of, um, friction between everybody, right? Because one, one group of us wanted to succeed within Microsoft. The other group of us wanted to 
um, you know, just hack on code and have fun. And this was not interesting. And mm -hmm. and there was, you know, people all along the spectrum. Okay. Um, and what was surprising here is that we found out that okay, we had a leadership wobble in the fact that we had to, we had to, we had to set, uh, step into kind of a leadership vacuum and and work uh, the group through. But we also found that in the process of working through all these other issues with alignment, um, like I found I had an empathy wobble. Okay. Right. What does that um, mean? Yeah. So I, I picked up the empathy wobble phrase from, uh, from, uh, from a TED talk. Um, and uh, I'm going to, okay, Francis Fry. Is it okay. Francis Fry? I sure hope it's Francis Fry. Um, uh, did a TED talk about how, um, how empathy wobbles could destroy trust. Mm -hmm. um, and empathy wobbles, uh, well, so, so trust comes from being able to really have authenticity and being able to be logic and be able to have, um, to be able to have a connection with uh, your people, empathy. Um, and th th this is pretty well known. Um, but when any one of those things is, is out of whack, then trust is threatened and when more than one thing is out of whack uh trust in the system totally breaks down and and in in our case well in my case personally i'll speak for myself here because okay. you know there was other things going on and, and and all sorts of stuff but this this is really um where i messed up or where 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 i ran into something interesting was um my logical uh Side of, or my the logical position where I came from was never a problem, right? The, the plans we were coming up with they made sense in the context of what we need to do. If A, then B, then C, right? If we were to be a valuable part of Microsoft, we needed to do this thing, which meant we needed to make these technology choices, which meant we needed to do this next thing. And I remember actually saying it several, a few times, more than a few times. You know, if anybody can actually poke a hole in the in, in this argument. I'm I'm more than willing to reconsider it, right? I, I interesting, yeah. You know, challenge. <laughs> exactly. It's like I wasn't necessarily, um, you know, sold on it from a from a from a purely emotional perspective, but from a logical perspective, you know, what we were doing all made sense, and mm -hmm. it was not something that was 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 an issue. And then, as far as authenticity, um, you know, I've always. Uh, you know, wondered how I, I score on that. Since this, uh, since this um, happened, I've actually taken several uh, profiles and, and and tests and all the rest of it, and and in the three six and done three sixty reviews and, okay. and done some reviews. Yeah. And my authenticity usually seems to do pretty well. Um, people, even even in the worst of uh, times, um, somehow I manage to be me, and mm -hmm. people don't really feel like I'm being a, a two-faced or, or whatever. I, I tend to, I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve. I tend to tell people what I right. think. Um, but where I had the, the wobble, where I had the problem was in the empathy section. Mm -hmm. um, and really being able to empathize with the fact that, yeah, we had this plan that made total sense. Uh, but how do we actually get our people to, to, to move and work on board uh, mm -hmm. with this? Um, and, uh, you know, I've always thought of myself as a fairly empathetic guy. I can sit and have a conversation with most anybody. And, you know, I, I didn't really think I had a problem in this uh, arena. Yeah. But, um, but in retrospect, the way I explain it is, um, 
is I have one particular place where I, um, I just don't get people. If he, if that makes sense. Okay. Where, um, yeah, where is it? So, um, well, a good way of explaining this is science. I love science. Right. If somebody is not, is one of those folks that may be a flat earther, um, they and I have a problem. I just, I don't get where they're coming from. I can't even begin to fathom how you, um, you can be a flat earther. Um, and so therefore, you know, what the hell are you talking about? What the hell are you doing? I, uh-huh. <laughs> the rest of the rest of all the, the discussions that could come from that point of just go away. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, applied to this, what I found was by not understanding why people couldn't actually identify the logic, I was dismissing at times, uh, where they were coming from as individuals and, and not necessarily then putting in uh, the, the, the right amount of help or understanding to help people through this transition in, in a different way. Yes. So that makes sense. It does. So you're saying that people didn't see the same logic or the way that you felt it mm-hmm. or, or saw the logic and maybe had other reasons, not just logical mm-hmm. reasons, but emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would you wouldn't uh, even maybe consider that as something that was important so it seemed dismissive right and it's not that i didn't consider it important i mean i understood you know people didn't want to do something therefore right. they needed to, to make changes it, it's not quite as draconian as, as it might sound at first um mm-hmm. i really i mean all throughout i understood people didn't have um would have a problem with this but on the other hand you know, I, I, I tried making it clear and we all tried in the leadership team making it clear, like for all the people who had an incentive to stay for a year or two years at the company, yes, please, you know, work with us, get us through that point, get your incentives that you, you deserve from having from the acquisition. Um, but then if this is not a situation that's going to work out for you, you know, then by all means, let's, you know, let's help everybody move on right, um, or do something else. Um, and it's that point at which, okay, it's easy enough to say, okay, you don't want to be part of this organization doing work on these big enterprise systems. Um, you know, be a, be a, be a big person and actually figure that out and make your own choices to actually okay. then helping those person through, uh, through making those choices or still maintaining the ability to be a, um, a, a productive member of the team, even when they themselves had fundamental differences with what they were working on and how that clashed with their own inner needs. Well, so you are helping to lead through that to help people mm-hmm. both I, figure that out for themselves and do the right thing and be professional in the meantime. Right, right, right. Okay. And, and, and so the, the place where this hurts is, is not necessarily in you know, any of the actions that we took or any of the behaviors we actually did. I mean, we, uh, I, I invested a lot of time in, into actually trying to help people through this, but even so that, that, it, that, that empathy wobble, how that trust gets eroded or how that affects trust um, means that uh, people perceive your intense intentions in a very different way. Right. So for some reason, um, when somebody is in the middle of having a, uh, having this problem or in the middle of having a trust issue, 
um, the decisions that they make appear arbitrary to the people who are on the other side of that. Okay. Um, and, and it will look like um, a person is acting in their own self-interest and that they don't care and they're aloof and ambivalent. Um, and of course, none of that helps in this kind of situation. Right. right? Um, and so you, you can have somebody on one side of the equation uh, that's, that's saying, hey, look, we're trying to do this so that we can make sure everybody's got a good job later. And yet, and, and all the logic all the logic works out and, and all the reasons make sense on paper. Um, but because there's something missing there in the, in the empathy area, um, your motivations suddenly look uh, very, not evil, but not, not acceptable to the other side. They, they don't look, uh, they don't feel like you're acting in their interest. And even right. if you are, even if you think you're doing the right thing, they don't think you're doing the right thing. Because yes. there's a disconnect. Certainly, without trust, people start uh, getting maybe even a little paranoid almost. Like, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Because uh, if I trusted this person, I would assume the benefit of the doubt, right? But exactly. if I don't trust this person, I'm going to assume the worst, right? Exactly. So, and, and so, how so did you get, get through that? <laughs> painfully. Uh, yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah. Very painfully. I mean, you know, through over over time, we 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 had a lot of personnel issues. We had uh, a lot of behavioral issues in in, in our organization. Um, and one of the things I learned very concretely is that culture is not something that you define by what you write down on a piece of paper or the posters you put on a wall, right? Yeah. Culture really is the behaviors that you tolerate in an organization. Mm -hmm. And where we got kicked um, quite heavily was that because we were working through all of these um, issues in the integration, but we all were also in a place where um, we didn't have that, um, we, we didn't have a direct connection with the authority that had come from before. Right, whatever that is that people buy into in leadership that comes from a, a group of leaders um, in a company, we didn't have a connection to the previous group of leaders that really helped us um, right. uh, forward. And, and so because of that, um, we had a lot of issues, people feeling bad, people feeling not in a good place where they could do their best work. And we met this, uh, we met those challenges with a variety of responses. Usually it was like, oh, well, we'll figure this out later. Or, Oh, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll try to do something. And we tolerated, excuse me, we tolerated a lot of things that were, were, weren't so great. Um, to, to quote uh, the Radical Candor book, um, we, we wallowed in ruinous empathy, <laughs> um, which is funny because I talk about my own empathy wobble and I, I use ruinous empathy here. But, yeah. um, but, but it really was, we postponed all sorts of things that we should have acted on because you know, either not knowing the right thing to do or, you know, just give it a little more time or, mm -hmm. you know, don't directly confront a, a, an issue that, that happens to be there. Um, and so uh, a lot of these, a lot of these um, problems came up time and time again. And then of course they, they metastasize, they, they, turn, right. they turn really bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's in those kind of situations where you find out that, um, you know, like if you're used to thinking of yourself as the good guy, 
if you're used to thinking of yourself yeah. as a person who usually does pretty well by everybody involved, um, and you find yourself in this situation, all of a sudden you're not the good guy. In fact, at least to some people, you appear to be the evil guy. Right. And rectifying that took a lot of a lot of work and a lot of time. And you know, some of it is some of it is um, you know relationships that that get pretty pretty shattered and pretty ruined. Mm -hmm. Um, some of it is just um, just uh, a slowdown and and actually executing on plan. Um, in in our case, the net result of most of it was that everything just moved incredibly slow for us. So right. instead of rapidly moving into a, a new a new position within the company, we got stuck, and we went from the promising startup that was coming in to being that, okay, what's going on with those guys? Why aren't they shipping? Why aren't they delivering? Why aren't they doing all of the cool stuff that they should be doing because they're a startup and they know what they're doing and, you know, all, all, every, every reason why, uh, you know, you, you're admired when you come in the door mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden you're not performing on that. Um, yeah. so, so for us, it wasn't so much that it was um, a huge train wreck right? It wasn't that bad. You know, I, I tell the story and I'm tired and at times I'm painting myself in, in, a, in a negative light, but it wasn't that bad. It's just that things didn't move. Yeah. And so we got stuck. Um, and getting, getting the entire organization unstuck was something that took a while. It took a lot of work by a lot of people. And, um, and uh, and for me, that took a lot of introspection and a lot of examination. Okay, what you know, what am I doing here? What is what is what is what am I getting out of this? What is what is my own role in this? What could I have done better? What could have I you know what could have I done differently? Um, and uh, yeah. So there's a lot of growth as a result. Yeah. Yeah, personal growth as well as for the company. It seems to me like sometimes when you go through some of these challenges, your relationships end up stronger as a result. Have mm -hmm. you found that? With some people very much so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For some people very much so. Some, some relationships um, were, were torched, right? right? There are some relationships mm -hmm. that are still in the pending category of whether, mm -hmm. what, of what they can do. Um, some of the relationships that were pretty, um, pretty antagonistic or at least not friendly um, have softened. Um, I'm in a fortunate position where, you know, one person that we're at odds with uh, quite heavily is actually a neighbor of mine. And, you know, now several years later, we're, 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 we're pretty cool with each other, right? Yeah. Everything's, everything's okay. But you know, that's, that, that's time and that's understanding and that's right. distance. And that's, that's all, that's a lot of things taking place. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, Duncan, it's so hard to get the truth behind this. So, so many experiences, people are like, oh, yeah, it was great. Everything went fine. Yeah, we had a few hiccups, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, nobody actually shares the details. So for you to be willing to go through and, and talk about this and uh, how it, you know, going through this acquisition really affected the whole company, affected you personally, affected the relationships, the trust, uh, the different ways that people had to think and be and decide if they wanted to stick it out or not. I mean, this is really big and it's realizing that on the front end, you know, it's, you're in for, um, you know, a rough ride for a while when you go through a process like this. And is that what you're doing now is helping some people with these kinds of things? 
very That's much it. so. I mean, I mean, part of part of the reason I did a lot of work on figuring out, you know, these things was for my own sanity and for my mm-hmm. own uh, learning. But part of it is how do you how do you take this forward? How do you help not do? How do you help people do this better the next time? Right. And you know, the 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 lessons from that have really taught me that that some of the things that sounded really you know, almost obvious in, in business textbooks right. or, you know, organization textbooks or leadership textbooks. Um, you know, what do those lessons actually matter? Where are they really, um, mm. where, are the, where are the really important things? How do you actually see or sense even when something's going to go wrong? Um, and, you know, it's also led me to, 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 to write up some stuff both internally and externally about, you know, the challenges that you face going through this um, kind of a process, right? You know, the biggest one for us that I talked a lot about already was alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that when you're doing an acquisition now, or when you're going through a period of major change in a startup, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an acquisition, it can be when um, when a startup pivots to a new business model, or right. when they decide to change their product, right? The people who are there working on something, they're, they're working on something for their own reasons as well as the company's mm-hmm. reasons. And through every major change, you're going to have these shifts of alignment. And it's, you know, the, this experience taught me how important it is to actually go back. And when you have a change like this, to then go through and figure out how to either regain alignment or to do the right thing by the people who may not be in the place where their alignment will ever line back up again with what what the company is doing um and how do you sort through that in a way that is um both beneficial to the company but also beneficial to the individual right yeah i mean there's there's not there's nothing worse in my book at this point than saying then then when a company does a, a change and they leave some group of people or a even a person in a position where they're no longer happy or they're no longer in a place where they're doing their best work and then doing nothing about that Hmm. right that is so shockingly bad and even when they do it for the right reason like leave the person alone because oh well you know we're still paying the money right yeah Um, they they still have a job they still have a place to come up um well that's that those are nice reasons right those are those are good especially since you don't want to like you know chop somebody's income off you know, suddenly and leave them in a jam because they don't have a financial backing to to drop onto. At the same time, leaving somebody in that place emotionally is so damaging to both them and the people around them that it is, you know, it's, it's fairly criminal to to let that happen in my opinion now. Well, that sounds like a plus empathy in my book. (laughs) Seriously, understanding where someone's at and not leaving them stranded. I mean, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, and, but that's the kind of thing where, you know, it's, 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 it's just, you know, how do you do the right thing where the right thing is not black or white? It's some Mm -hmm. middle ground. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like one of the, one of the, one of the situations which I was really proud of actually in, in, in this experience was we had one engineer on our team that was very much uh, wanting to, to use a particular language and a particular technology stack and, and work at a startup. She did not want to work in a big mega company. She wanted to work in a, in a small environment. And one of the things that 
we made sure to do was to actually get her to Redmond and spend a significant amount of time in Redmond, kind of seeing what the larger company was. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that was because it let her actually get a very good sense of the environment in which she would find herself in if she stayed at the company for a while, right? Yeah. And she came back and not long after she resigned. And of course, some of my colleagues were, were feeling pretty, pretty bad about this. They're like, oh, why did we, you know, why did we do this? Why did we invest time? Why did we do this if, if somebody's just going to resign? And I was actually pretty happy about this case because it meant that she was making a decision for herself that was good for her and she was doing so with more information than she had before um so she wasn't just doing it from a a standpoint of oh i don't think this is going to work i'm just going to go she actually had the data and said okay no i don't want to be in this environment i want to be in this other environment and she had the time and space in order to make that decision and so i'm not saying we did perfectly by her either right because i that that might sound like, you know, yeah, we, we, we scored on that one. And, you know, maybe the reality is somewhere in between. But at least we did better with her than we did with some of the other people. Um, and in a place where you are in this ambiguous place where alignment's no longer happening, um, this is one of the responsibilities that I think we have as leaders is to sort out how to take care of these other, these other things, these other people. Well, we couldn't have ended on a better note than that, Duncan, because, I mean, we have really rapidly used up our time here. And I, you know, I just think that that is actually what, can, what else can you say after that, you, you know, doing the right thing and, and helping people uh, make the decisions that they need to make uh, for their best uh, work in their lives. Right. So um I want to thank you so much for being on the show and I will include your contact information in the show notes. If you want people to reach out to you afterwards, sure. talk. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. Yes. Uh, well, so thank you, Duncan, for sharing your story and for helping to inspire others and also well, helping to inspire them look before they leap, I would say, and uh, understand that they're, there may be a lot of work ahead of them to get through some of these challenging times. So I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for talking through this with me. Yeah. And thanks to our listeners and our viewers. Uh, join us next time on reinventing nerds. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of reinventing nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.